Hey everyone, this is Chad. I'm the founder and CEO of mission.org and the host of Mission Daily, the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Mission Daily was recently selected as best of 2018 by Apple for a reason. In every single episode, you're going to learn actionable strategies that you can apply to your life to become healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Yes, Danny Eaney was a high school dropout, but that doesn't mean he can't change the future of education. In fact, that's what Danny is trying to do. As the founder and CEO of Miracy and a best-selling author of nine books, including Leverage Learning, Danny is bringing a new approach to online learning and course building. In this conversation, Danny dives deep into the lessons he learned as a young entrepreneur working without a high school diploma and then going back to get an MBA, which he says was a disappointing experience. And he gives his thoughts on how and why education needs to change. Hear all of that and more in this conversation. So I'd love to just jump right in and and why don't you give me an introduction? Just tell us uh, who you are, what you do. Sure. So my name is Danny Eni. I'm the founder and CEO of an online business education company called Miracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with experts and professionals, teaching them how to increase the reach of their knowledge and expertise, help more people and you know grow their businesses in the process. And I've been very interested in the space of education. I've had a love-hate relationship with, uh, with the world of education for my entire career. And uh, that has culminated into a book that I published recently called Leverage Learning, um, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. So where do you want to go from here? Like, should I talk about <laughs> the genesis of the book or like, what would be most useful? What I would love to know is a little bit of background info on you. You said you had a love-hate relationship with education. So tell me about why that is and how that happened. Sure. So as a kid, I was, you know, best student in the class, goody two-shoes, does his homework before he goes home. Like I was that kid. And that was great until about the end of the eighth grade. And when I went into the ninth grade, it was like a switch flipped in my head. And I was just sitting there in class thinking, wow, I am so bored. (laughs) So unbelievably bored. And so I started cutting classes. And I'm not a person who does anything halfway. So I think the first trimester of that year, I missed 152 classes and like oh my God. the number kept going up. And it's because, you know, I would, I would skip a bunch of classes and I would come back. And I'm like, they're still doing the same boring stuff. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go for longer. And this went on for about a year and a half. And about halfway through the 10th grade, I kind of stepped back. Um, I was 15 years old at the time. And I kind of said to myself, okay, look, this is silly. Like, what am I going to do? Spend four years now just cutting classes and going to the gym and watching MTV, which is, you know, what you do when you're 15. Right. I was like, this is not a good use of time. I think I'm going to make it official and uh, quit school and start my first business, which is why I I like to say I've been an entrepreneur for longer than my adult life. (laughs) Um, And there's an aside about that, which is that when that happened, the prevailing narrative around me was, Danny, you're throwing your life away, right? So not just that I'm making a bad decision, but there was this sense of permanence around the decision. Right. right? Yeah, there's no turning back now. Like, this is the end. And that felt a little weird to me because I was like, you know, in a worst case scenario, you can go back to school, right? It's not (laughs) this irreversible thing. But so I went ahead and I did it and I quit school and I became an entrepreneur and I got the opportunity to be involved in a lot of really interesting things that I probably never would have otherwise been able to. So I I counted as one of the best decisions I ever made. Talk to me about those entrepreneurial experiences too. Uh, Sure. So, you know, I, I was 
you know, at the time when, when you say, okay, I was 15, I quit school, start a computer company. Like people are imagining that I was like one of those kids that could like hack into the Pentagon. I wasn't. You're not, you have, wait, you're not Bill Gates. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I am absolutely not. Right. Like I, I just didn't have those technical skills at all, nor did I have the business skills. Right. I thought, okay, I'm going to quit school and um, maybe I'll build websites because I knew a little bit of HTML and I figured that would be enough. And anyone who's listening to this, who knows HTML knows that saying, you know, HTML is like, doesn't mean much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I was like, okay, I, that's something I can do. And this will give you a sense of just how little I understood at the time. I started going door to door down the street, just, you know, popping into shops saying, you know, hey, do you need a website? And I was too young and naive to realize that the clerk behind the counter is not the person who makes that decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did this for um, a few months, never really got any traction, didn't get any clients or anything. When I was sitting at home with uh, a friend of mine, we were playing one of these educational video games with his little sister, who was like seven or something. And he looks at this game and he says, you know, Danny, this is a pretty simple game. I'll bet you could build something like this. And I tell him, you know, I'll bet I could. Now, I don't know why I said that because I had none of the skills to actually do it. There's no reason to have believed I could have. But we find the box for the game. I find the information of the company. I call them up and I get a meeting with the CEO. And this is one of those things that like in hindsight, it's like, how did I do that? How did I get them? How old were you at this point? I was 15. Okay. It's okay. like, it, it didn't occur to me at the time that it was a big deal. So it's like, I really don't, I don't know how I managed that. But wow. I walk into this meeting and I tell him, I have a business proposition for you. I think I can build the games that you sell. And uh, I tell him, my, my mom has a degree in psychology. I tell him, I've consulted with a psychologist. <laughs> and the conclusion I've arrived at is that if you really want kids to be engaged, they can't just be doing math exercises on the screen. It's got to be fun. Now, what he could have said is, no kidding, I've been doing this for 10 years. Get out of my office. Right. But instead, he opens a drawer, he pulls out this document, he blows on it, and this like cloud of dust flies off it. He says, this is a script I wrote for a game eight years ago. Why don't you build it for us and we'll sell it? And I say, that sounds great. And he says, how are you going to build it? And I had no technical skills whatsoever. Right. <laughs> so I, I tell him, because I had a friend who knew Visual Basic, I tell him I'll build it in Visual Basic. I figured maybe my friend would teach me. And he says, isn't that like reinventing the wheel? Why wouldn't you build it in Director? which was an authoring tool at the time. And I tell him, look, if we're going to be working together, then of course I have to adapt to match your business practices. So I'll build it in director. <laughs> so we shake hands. I, I leave the office. I go home and I type into Google, which was brand new at the time. What is director? <laughs> and I, I worked on this game for a couple of years and restarted a few times as I like started developing the skills that I actually needed and realized that everything I had done so far was useless. It never saw the shelves. It never got anywhere. I did other contract work for the company and they paid me for it. But this was my introduction into being an entrepreneur in the world of educational technology. So I'm mm -hmm. super grateful for, for the opportunity that I was given. So I had that like early opportunity. And ironically, as, as a high school dropout, most of my career has been in the world of education in some way, shape or form. And I, got, I was involved in a few different companies. And my first big attempt to build a startup company was about 11 or 12 years ago. So late 2000s, um, we were building a software company that built technology. It teaches kids how to read. And it was a great vision. Um, and the kids loved the prototypes and the experts loved what we were doing. And we won some awards and all that kind of stuff. But I was a young and very inexperienced CEO. I was like in my early 20s at the time in what in hindsight is one of the most complicated industries on the face <laughs> of the earth. Um, and, you know, all of that coupled with a financial crash in 2008, it just, it sunk the company. Everything fell apart. 
And I walked away from that with about a quarter of a million dollars in personal debt. I was like, well, this sucks. And this was very much a low point for me because, you know, entrepreneurs invest so much of ourselves in a company that we build. It's, it's not just that like, okay, I have all this debt. When a company falls apart all around you, it kind of feels like going through a really rough breakup, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're not ready to, to, to start dating right away. And so I was at this low point in my life thinking maybe I need a rudder. Maybe I need some stability. Maybe I should go back to a, to a traditional path. And I went back to school and I got my MBA. And in this case, the prevailing narrative around me was, Danny, you are making a great move. Finally, you're following the path that you're supposed to follow. And it's going to set you up for success. This is what you're supposed to do. And I spent you know, a year and a half or so in this program and spent lots and lots of money because these programs are expensive. And I feel like I got very, very little for my time and money. It was absolutely not worth it. And it was striking to me that, you know, looking at, you know, I decided to quit high school and it was a great decision that everyone thought was a bad idea and everyone Mm -hmm. thought would be irreversible. And then I get my MBA that everyone thinks is a great idea and will just open doors (laughs) and do much of anything for me, but it cost me a ton and that's completely irreversible. I'm not getting that time or money back. And that led me, you know, in parallel with building my business and and working to support entrepreneurs and all the stuff I do to really dig into like, what is going on here? Why is the public perception of how education works so different from the reality? Um, And and that's what led over the course of about eight years to the research that became my latest book. Yes, which I want to talk to you about. So tell me about leverage learning. I think your thesis is basically that the education system isn't working the way it used to. Why is that? What have you discovered in your research in all of your experience? I have a colleague who says that the way that an idea becomes a book is by starting as a dinner party conversation. And then when mm-hmm. everyone loves it, it becomes an article. And then when everybody loves it, you turn it into a book. I had a different experience with this book. <laughs> I would have dinner party conversations with lots of different people about some of my frustrations with the way the world of education is working. And I would find the responses to be very polarized. I would either get people who were very on board with what I was saying, but also very uninformed. They're like, you know, I totally agree with you. Education is a sham. None of it works. I don't really understand why, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, um, okay. Um, <laughs> I was hoping for some more sophisticated support, but that's great. Right. Yeah, sure. Or I would get this string of yeah buts where mm-hmm. people very much didn't want to buy into what I was saying. And if they did, it's like, well, I was like, well, look, here's the data and here's why. It's like, yeah, but this other thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but this other thing. Yeah, maybe college doesn't prepare you for the technical skills in the job market, but that's not really what it's for. It's about making you well-rounded. It's about giving you the critical thinking skills you need to succeed. Oh, the data shows that it doesn't actually give you the critical thinking skills you need to succeed? Yeah, but it's about something else. It's about the social experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the cost of college is an order of magnitude what it used to be and the returns are dropping. Yeah, but you still need it for like, it would be this circle of things. And there's some really interesting writing on the internet. If, if people listening to the search for the term crony beliefs, mm-hmm. it's basically the idea that you know, if I call you up on the phone and I say, listen, your kid's soccer practice that you thought was at two o'clock, it's actually at three o'clock. You know, if you believe me, then great. And if you don't believe me, then great, but you're not going to be mad at me. Right. For sharing this information with you. You only get mad. You only have an emotional reaction when the information I'm sharing is challenging something that is core to your worldview. And the mm-hmm. belief in the supreme value of college and higher education as the path to success in the world, and especially in the U.S. and North America, 
is just so core to the way we've, we've organized our lives. I, I, like, I like to joke that we spend 18 years trying to get into college and then at least 18 years paying it off. So <laughs> yeah, it's like that sounds right. <laughs> um, but it's just not delivering what it's supposed to, right? Fundamentally, people go to college because there's this expectation that you're going to have a better life coming out of it right? Whether that means job prospects, whether that means a career path, whether that means, you know, whatever it is. But all the data shows that that is not actually happening. When you look at recent grads age 22 to 29, almost half of them are unemployed or underemployed, meaning mm -hmm. not a job that requires a college degree. And three quarters of the balance are working in fields other than what they studied. People point to, you know, the gold shining star guiding people in this area is don't people earn more over a lifetime if they go to college, right? And the answer is yes, on average, but averages are very misleading, right? If you have 10 guys in a bar and they each earn the median American household income of about $60,000 and Bill Gates walks into the bar, the average earning in the bar- Of just course it'll go up. <laughs> million dollars. <laughs> yeah. But those guys don't get richer. So it's true that college graduates as a whole, they earn more over a lifetime, but when you pull out of that the Ivy League and top schools, because that's not where most people are going, you pull out of that a very small subset of high-paying vocation-granting degrees like medical school and engineering, most of those earning gains disappear. And then there's all kinds of other confounding variables, like most colleges are located in major metro areas where the cost of living and therefore wages just tend to be a little bit higher. And all these earning lifetime data are self-reported. So presumably the people who are excited about how much money they're making are a little overrepresented as well. Right. So all these benefits kind of disappear. And the more I kind of dug into, okay, college is supposed to do this. It's supposed to be good because of that. It's like the data shows across the board, it's just not true. And this at a time when the cost of college is skyrocketing. So when value is going down and cost is going up, that's a bubble. And bubbles always pop. And sometimes popping a bubble is dramatic. It's like the housing crash in 2008. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, a, a pin to a balloon. It's like bang. But sometimes it's not so dramatic. Sometimes it's just the air being let out of the balloon. like, And that's what we're already seeing. College enrollment has declined 7% in the last five years. That's a million and a half or so people each year saying, no, not college, but you know, but then what? They don't even have a good option to jump to yet. But they're saying, well, no, I'm not, I'm not spending all this time and all this money without knowing whether I'm likely to get anything back. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the core of what I dug into in the book. And when I did the research, I, I really thought I would find data showing that things were going in the direction that I was saying. And, and the data came back saying, no, 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 it's actually here. This is, this is how it actually <laughs> is already. So what do you so what do you suggest? What is the solution? What is the the way to solve this problem to make education work for you? What's the the smarter way to go about it? So the answer to that question is different depending on whether I'm answering for an individual person, like one person saying, okay, if not college, then what should I do? Versus if we're looking systemically at how to how to fix the landscape. So so do you want to do one or the other or both? I would love to do both. Cool. So, so let's start with the individual. Because right now we're in a phase where there isn't a good mainstream alternative, like if not college, then what? And so people have to be a little more entrepreneurial in crafting their journey. But the biggest mistake people make is not going to college, it's committing to any path before they know where they want the path to lead. So the very first thing people need to do is think about, well, where do I want to end up? At the end of my you know, educational episode, whatever it might entail, where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing? And if you don't know the 
answer to that, find that answer first. College is a terrible way of finding out what you like. First of all, the options on the menu are pretty limited, but also you're spending a ton of time and money for that clarity. So, you know, make a list of industries you might want to work in, read books about different fields, reach out to executives and say, hey, can I take you out to lunch and pick your brain? I want to learn about what you do. Most people are very receptive to that sort of thing. And when you say, okay, I think this might be the industry I want to go into, start with an internship, right? I, I always say, like, reach out to these executives, say, I would love to work for you for free for three months or six months. And all I want from you is 30 minutes of your time once a month to sit down and ask you questions about how I'm seeing this industry work. And people are like, what do you mean work for free? And my response is always, well, that's better than you paying. And at the end of those six months, maybe this bypasses college altogether. They see that you're great and you love the industry and it's all good and there's a career path. But if not, then you're going to have a lot more clarity around what you actually need in order to get to where you want to go. Right. Fundamentally, the, the value that a university degree brings you is its ability, other than like the, the subject matter technical skills that, you know, most people are not using what they studied in college anyway. What it brings you is the ability to impress a very limited number of people, right? The right. few people that can open doors and make, give you jobs and that sort of thing. And when you think of it that way, if like fundamentally, I just need to be able to impress a handful of people. And you're looking at spending four plus years and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to impress these few people, there's probably a more efficient way of doing that. So just get clear on who it is and what will it take. That's the answer for an individual. And it's very much a work around the system kind of answer, which works great for one person, but if everybody does it, it's just chaos. Right. Right. And the new <laughs> system needs to emerge. So mm -hmm. we really need to build something around the way our consumption of education is changing. Because there are three buckets that education falls into post-secondary, like post-elementary and high school. There is foundational adult education, which is what most non-vocational college programs purport to do. You know, we train you for nothing, but we educate you for everything, except mm -hmm. the data shows that that's not true. <laughs> um, but the promise has merit, right? This is something we do need, regardless of the technical skills of a particular role. There are foundational things that everybody needs to know, like how to balance a checkbook and how to communicate persuasively and, and that kind of stuff. And also the, the soft skills of being valuable in an organization, taking initiative and being reliable and solving problems and playing well with others and all that kind of stuff. So we need that foundation. Then the second bucket is last mile education, the bridge between your foundation and the specific career that you want to go into. And that can be as simple as an internship or a coding boot camp. It can be as elaborate as medical school. And then the third bucket is continuing education over a lifetime. And when we look at the trends, we're seeing a lot of the consumption of education shifting from a lot of education just in case at the start of a career to a lot more education just in time throughout a career because of how fast things are changing, right? Uh, Larry Summers, the, the former dean of Harvard, is on record saying everything you learn is going to be obsolete in five or ten years. So learning a ton of stuff at the start of your career doesn't make a lot of sense. So systemically, the change that is likely to happen is we need a better option for foundational adult education, for giving people that baseline of being useful and valuable to society then they need a bridge into their career. And those exist better than most of the other areas. And we need to continue our education in a way that is more self-directed to learn what we need when we need it over our careers. And a, a way to do that in a way that a lot of people are doing, you mentioned one of them is like coding boot camps and things like that. And another one is online education, which you have like a huge presence in. So tell me a little bit about online education and courses and, and some of the ways that that is changing the game. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge potential in online courses and online education, both because the demand for them is exploding and because we, because of how quickly things are changing, there's really a shift happening in that it used to be that you needed a great teacher who also knew the subject matter. These days, because things are changing so quickly, you really need a subject matter expert who is also a great teacher. And it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. It mm -hmm. means that the real opportunity is for experts and professionals to teach who are on the cutting edge of, of their respective fields. And there's been a boom in the last 10 or 20 years of experts saying, okay, I'm going to take my information, take my knowledge, build an online learning experience that people can access. The challenge is that as with any nascent space, quality has been very variable. There's no quality control. There's no way to know what you're really getting. And so you can find some great online courses. You can find some lousy ones. But what you take away from them is just the knowledge and the skills. There's no way of signaling to a third party, you know, I took this course and now I know these things because a signal is only valuable if other people recognize its values. So right now saying I take a lot of online courses is about as valuable on a resume as saying I read a lot of books. <laughs> right. Like it, it's just, it doesn't carry a lot of weight. So I think where that space is going to go is first, as the landscape matures, courses are just going to get better and better. Customers are going to become more and more discerning, asking more of the right questions to validate they're getting their money's worth. And when more and more people come out of courses, being able to do things that are valuable, the brand of those individual courses will start to carry weight with the third-party stakeholders, the employers, the clients, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very much in the early days, but the, the opportunity is huge and growing. And you offer like help with building courses and things like that. Tell me about that and, and how you do that and why that's an important skill to have to be able to build an online course that's going to be useful. Yeah, well, it's an important skill specifically for experts and professionals. It's not important for everyone. It's important for people who have valuable knowledge and expertise that would be useful for other people to have access to. Right. And it's really important because, you know, if you know something, you know how to do something that would be useful to others, they need it. They want it. It's a great way for you to grow your influence in the world. And it's not as simple as just turning on a camera and talking into it and then trusting that students will figure it out. Part of the challenge of this shift from teachers who know the subject matter to subject matter experts who can also teach uh -huh. is that you get a lot of people teaching who know the subject matter, but they don't know how to teach. And teaching is a real skill. There's a lot that goes into not just explaining something, but empowering someone to integrate that knowledge and see their way through your course and get a result on the far end of it. And then in the big picture, a course that doesn't do that doesn't have longevity or success. So we work with experts and professionals. We kind of combine our um, skills in the area of online marketing and online business and technology with instructional design and education to teach people kind of start to finish. If you have knowledge and expertise, you're an expert in your field, we can support you to package that knowledge and expertise into a course that is impactful and transformative and reach the customers who are going to want to sign up for it, enroll them in the course, make the money doing it because People have to do all of that themselves. It's, it's not like when you were, you know, once upon a time, you could be a professor at a university. You didn't have to worry about getting the students in the class, right? You just had to show up and teach. Now there's a lot more opportunity, but there's also a lot more that falls on the shoulders of each individual instructor. How do you go about making that transition easy, making that, you know, coursework, making sure that what is needed is getting out there? Well, it starts with just digging into the outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of 
aspiring instructors who know their subject matter but haven't taught a lot before, where they'll start is by saying, okay, this is my field, this is my topic. So they'll make a list of all the things that fall into that topic that they should explain, right? Yeah. That someone like them should know. But you want to start the other way in, in the context of education. This is called backward integrated design. You know, a year from now, the people who've gone through your course, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to understand? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to remember? What do you want them to be able to do? How well do they need to be able to do it? And then we can start working backwards and saying, well, what do they need to know? What do I need to teach? What do I need to explain? And how do I need to support them to practice and experiment and get feedback as they go in order for that to work? There are three big buckets of activity when, when it comes to the process of education. First, you consume a new set of ideas, you know, watching the videos, listening to the audios, reading the text, whatever. Then there's application where they take that and apply it in either a hypothetical scenario with you know, worksheets and exercises and assignments or a real world scenario where they're applying it in their life or in their business or whatever it is. And then the third bucket is iteration or improvement where they get uh -huh. feedback on where do they do it right, where do they do it wrong, where do they need to improve. And most of the data we have, most of the research we have around where truly effective education happens tells us that it happens in the second two buckets. It happens when people apply, it happens when people get feedback on what they did well and what they didn't. A great resource on this is um, Kay Anders Erickson's book, Peak, and his research on, on mastery. And a big challenge that a lot of amateur course creators have is that they spend all their time in the first bucket. It's like, I'm gonna make the videos, I'm going to explain, and now my students are on their own. But that's not where the learning happens. I mean, that's so interesting. And like, I think you're, you're spot on, because it makes so much sense. I guess I, I'm curious about what's next for you? What's next for the book with Leverage Learning? What's next with the online courses? Where, where do you see education going in the future? Uh, well, we're kind of diverging our focus a little bit, which is one of those things that you're never supposed to do as a company. But <laughs> uh -huh. when, when the opportunity is so big and just the need is so prevalent, you know, sometimes you can't resist. But half of our business and a big part of what currently drives what we do is working with experts, professionals, entrepreneurs, to build their courses, to grow their businesses, to scale their reach and their influence and their income. And you know, that side of the business is doing great and continuing to grow and there's a lot of opportunity there. But you know, going back to those three buckets we talked about, you know, foundational adult education and last mile and continuing education, when we work with experts, it's in that continuing education space. They're making courses to teach specific things to people who need it on a just-in-time basis, usually. And that's what we're doing as well. But I think the you know, billion, if not $100 billion opportunity is when we look at the roughly $1.9 trillion, trillion with a T, it's insane, mm -hmm. $1.9 trillion spent annually in the U.S. on higher education, the vast majority of which is not yielding any meaningful ROI, that's money that needs to be redeployed in a way that's more constructive to the people who are investing in their education and in their future. And so that's where we're excited to be experimenting and looking at opportunities to, to contribute. And it's a big opportunity. It's a big challenge. It's a big, important need. And so, you know, I hope that my book will inspire others to work on this problem as well, because it's a problem that needs to be solved. You know, throwing away close to $2 trillion a year is not something that the nation or our world can afford. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. 
we own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.